Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. What I want to talk about today is an old-fashioned tongue twister. And what I mean by that is it's a tongue twister I made up myself. It's not old-fashioned at all. Uh, But essentially, it's called special specifics. Now, if you say it 10 times fast, you'll know what I mean. Special specifics, special specifics. I I literally made it to like three in my office this week. I was like, should I make this joke? Yes, I don't care how corny people think I am, right? Is the the original, if you don't know, the original tongue twister, Irish wristwatch, right? Say that one 10 times fast, Irish wristwatch. I was wish wash, you know? But with that, I want to talk about special specifics and essentially, right, like how many of you guys know, have you ever went to the grocery store and like you have the list of like the special things you need and like as you're focused on these special things, you get home and you have eight bags of chips, three things of cookies, a 12 pack of Mountain Dew and you're like, wait, what was it I went to the store for? Right? It's like, how many, how many of us, like, we have special instructions, like, for the day, like, we write the to-do list that day. We're like, okay, I have to get this done. At the end of the day, you're like, man, I did a lot today. And you're like, wait a second. The one thing, the special thing, I not only didn't do, I didn't even attempt to do, it didn't even cross my mind outside of that 7 a.m. thought I had. But really what I want to talk about today is, is this idea that God has a special plan for the specifics of your life. And I'm not talking, I'll be honest, I'm not talking about the fun, polished, talented version of your life. I'm talking about the specifics of your story that maybe you're not proud of, the specifics of your story that maybe are painful to think of, the specifics of your story that maybe you have scars from, the specifics of your story that you've doubted God in, the specifics of your story that you are questioning His goodness in. See, what I want to talk about today is the special purpose for those specifics. And before I do, though, is, you know, a lot of the times I think that we kind of meet the bare minimum of what is required of like, you know, if, if for instance, you get a list, right? This is a great example. I was uh, in missions. I've been blessed to travel all over the world. And so what happens is you always get a packing list of what you need to bring. Now, the problem is, is you have bare minimums of that packing list. You have the good part of that packing list. And then you have overpacking, which is 99.9% of all females. (laughs) People are like, I haven't met one yet. Maybe it's just my family, my wife, whatever, that it's overpacking is not an idol. Anyway, but... But here's the deal. You have all of these things, and if you overpack, you got to carry a lot of stuff, and you just hate your life after a while. If you underpack, you realize, wow, I don't have sheets for three months in India. (laughs) And if you hit the, the sweet spot, then you know you're good. But the other thing is you have to think critically about what you're bringing. Case in point, right? Special specifics. Bring pants, right? That would be something like bring pants so you can have pants to wear. This is a true story. We went to Africa as a church and brought talking Bibles, which it was incredible. There were Bibles powered by solar panels that we gave away in, in villages all over so that they could have the Bible in their tongue in the New Testament. And one of the guys that came with us, if you've, if you've been to Africa, you know that the, especially in the part we were, the, the ground was like a clay orange brown. And it was very dusty and windy. And so by the end of the day, you were just coated and caked in a lot of this like dust 
and a, a lot of this kind of dirt that would just be blowing. And there wasn't chairs, so you mostly sat on the ground. There wasn't furniture. You were outdoors most of the time. And the best part was is one of the guys who came with us, he wore white pants. Now, special specifics, let's wear pants, right? That's a good place to start. But don't wear white ones. Because at the end of the day, it might look like you got drugged behind the car. And the best part was, is in the beginning of the day, I know this guy personally, it was funny. Because in the beginning of the day, I was like, hey, man, you're getting some orange on your pants. And he'd be like trying to like wipe it off. And he's like wearing white pants so you can't because it's clay orange. But by the end of the day, he literally just did not care anymore, was laying in the ground. <laughs> just like, you're like, dude, your pants are orange now. And it's a dirty, gross, kind of like rusty oil or, or rusty uh, well water orange like Maybe don't wear those pants ever again, slash throw them away. Special specifics, wear pants, but wear pants that don't reflect the color of the dirt that you're in. Right? Another instance was uh, when I was in India, there was a, uh, a guy, and it was very hot in India, and so what we would do is we would wear, you wore sandals. The only problem is, is I had a friend that had sandals, and what he liked about them was they were vented, so they had holes in them on the bottom and on the sides, so that ultimately, you know, I don't know, vented sandals. I feel like when your foot's exposed fully, you don't really need vents on it. But anyway, and I remember, if you know anything about India, it's a Hindu country. And what that means is they actually have very high esteem for cows. What do cows do? Poop. A lot. And I'm, not, I'm talking like on the roads and stuff. There's cows everywhere. And the best part was is this guy had vented sandals. What did that, and the best part was, is we all stayed in about a 10 by 10 room, six dudes. And this dude would walk around all day with poop oozing through his sandals. And we every day would be like, dude, you cannot come in here without washing your feet. And that isn't like a biblical thing. That's like, like a humanitarian mission. It was like, it was like, dude. And the best part was we're there for two and a half months. And every single day, this dude probably stepped on the equivalent of a herd of cow's poop. Like, he'd walk in, and you're like, those feet aren't brown from dirt. <laughs> Matt, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, but here's the deal. It was just so funny because it's like the specifics are don't wear white pants. Wear pants, but you got to go kind of a step further, right? Sandals, listen, you need to have sandals that are flat, not vented. And, but what I'm essentially getting at, some of you guys are like, what does these stories have to do with anything? Don't worry about it. Try to loosen you guys up, kind of slick, stick one in. But what am I trying to say is I think a lot of the times we have definitions of what we think the specificness of what God's going to use our life as, and it doesn't turn out the way that we want to, and then we question why we went through that, and we don't trust that God can do anything with it. And what do I mean by that is, once again, I think that the thing about the church and the ministry and following God is trusting that he turns bad things good. See, a lot of us, what we want to do is we want God to take, make good things gooder. We want great things to be awesome. And then we kind of hide the bad things. And then when the bad things aren't really changing because he actually doesn't change them for us, he gives us the tools to change them for ourselves. When we're not changing them, we're frustrated. We're critical. We're offended. We walk away. So today what I want to talk about is one of the most famous, I would say, passages of Jesus's ministry, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. Now, many of us, when I say that term, we're like, oh, heard that one a thousand times. 
You know, I've read that story. I know all about it. You know, but the story of Zacchaeus to me is one of the most interesting stories of interaction and encounter with Jesus because there are way more specifics than normal. I mean, if you read a typical uh, understanding of Jesus' ministry, it never, record, it never records the specific layers that are recorded in Zacchaeus' story. And it's interesting because his story has specifics that actually, if you read them and recognize them, might apply to you more than you realize. And specifically under the instance of God taking bad and turning it to good when we're willing and obedient. Because I'll be honest, I think all of us would love for whatever the bad areas and struggling areas and tough areas of our lives that we don't want anybody to know about, we would love for God to just, boom, snap his fingers, bad, good, perfect. But that's just not how it works. And essentially what I want to talk about is these four specifics that I believe Christians miss in this story that apply to us a lot more than we realize. So what I want to do is I want to read it real quick. Luke 19, 1 through verse 9. This is nine verses. So if you need a Bible helmet, put it on. It says this, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. If the Bible says you're rich, chances are you're a wealthy person. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. So what I want to do today is I want to focus on specifics of the story. And what I mean by that is, is that a lot of the times, once again, from a scriptural context, is it's really easy to read stories and then not necessarily, and I'm not going to be super critical on this, but explore the depth of what that story is trying to convey from a cultural, from, from the narrative of understanding what Jesus is confronting. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take it a little bit deeper today, the story of Zacchaeus, right? So we've got four hyper-specific things. The first one is a job description, right? We've got a job description. What is it? Chief tax collector. Now think about this though, a chief tax collector, and some of you guys are probably going to be like, oh, I know this, right? A tax collector in that day and the time, Rome would come in, they would overtake a land, and in overtaking it, they would ask for people to swear allegiance, and so what you would do is you would swear allegiance after you were conquered, and then if you swore allegiance early on enough and kind of negotiated something, you could be put into a place of power. Now a tax collector is one of the best places to be because you could cheat people. What do I mean by this? Imagine if you went to the grocery store, you got a bag of chips off the shelf, and you took it to the line and you said, man, these were on sale, $2.50, let's go. And you, they scanned them and the cashier looked you dead in the face and said, it'll be $8 today. Now, if you looked at that cashier and said, no, I saw the price tag, it's $2.50. No, it's $8. No, it's $2.50. No, it's $8. And then all of a sudden, the cashier looks, and there's security guards right there. And the security guards, these are Roman officers. We're kind of getting a little bit back and forth, right? They look at you and said, well, he said $8. It's $8. How many of you guys know I ain't eating chips then? 
tell you what, I'll take my sources somewhere else, buy a couple bags of chips. I love the delayed laugh. At least I got some of you. But what, what am I trying to say, right, is this is how tax collectors functioned, is they looked at, they were like, okay, this is the, this is the quota. So the, the Roman government would give the quota of what they would need to get regionally, and then essentially all of them would say, okay, this is the quota, but this is how much I'd like to make on this. How many of you guys know this is like, this is, this is called cheating. This is, oh, this is, I mean, it's like a biblical Ponzi scheme. Like it's not going, this is not right. So, and the best part is, see, this is the thing that's missed, though, about Zacchaeus' stories. Some people are like, oh, Zacchaeus ripped people off. Cool. No, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. You know what that means? Is he's been so faithful at collecting and so devoted to the Roman Empire that he's actually been placed over a region. And actually, believe it or not, it references that region, Jericho. What am I trying to say? We're looking at one of the chief tax collectors over an entire region of oppression and stealing from people. Now, what's even crazier is that if you swear allegiance to Rome, Caesar is viewed as a god. So we've got somebody who's diabolically differenced to who Jesus is, diabolically differenced to what Jewish custom and culture is, diabolically differenced to being a good human being. His entire existence is about being faithful to an oppressive regime and making himself rich. How many of you guys know? Great place to start the story. See, because when we look at the story, we're like, oh, yeah, he ripped people off. No, he oversaw the oppressiveness of the people of Jericho unto the exploit, exploiting people financially for his own gain. So I would venture to say that, as the Bible says, it's made him very rich. It's made him very rich in the wrong ways. Now, once again, what I'm trying to do is this. What I'm trying to do is set this table of, so many of us, when we come to God, what we say is, well, I've done this so bad, he can't do anything with it. You know, I've made these terrible decisions. I don't know if he can forgive me. You know, I've done this wrong. I don't know if I can get past it. See, what we're doing with Zacchaeus is setting the table of literally this man is the epitome of hatred and sin in that day and time. See, to forsake all of his people and turn to the Romans... To be a turncoat, essentially, if you can't beat him, join him, right? Kevin Durant. That's just that to me, right? What, what am I saying is that he's become somebody that everybody hates because essentially he is abandoning everybody else for his own advancement. Now, let's take this a step further, though, because this is where it gets interesting for me. Is that actually, it says that he's very rich, very rich. Now, I love the nitty-gritties of Scripture because I'll be honest, in this place, we can go to the absolute truth of what does Jesus say in Matthew 19, verse 24. He says that, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. However, what we see here is a very rich man who in one encounter with Jesus goes from death to life. But why is that? It's the posture of his heart and what he actually does. So this is where, once again, we're kind of getting into the below-the-surface dynamics of what's going on in Scripture right now, is we've got a very rich man who's oppressive, who's offensive, who's a cheat, who's a stealer, who's a scoundrel, who's a Roman. He's all of these things, and he's a rich man. 
and Jesus is interacting with them. Right? So this is the first place we're starting in the story. The second place is this, his name being written and remembered. Now, I don't know how many of you guys study the Bible or how deep or how long or whatever, and I don't really need to know, but I can tell you this. In my study, there's only one other real reference of somebody outside of the ministry or friendship circle that is remembered by name, and that's blind Bartimaeus. Now, you can say Lazarus, but Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, right? We very frequently get actual names of people that were healed. And what I mean by that is because a lot of the times when we get to the descriptive elements of what Jesus is doing, we focus more on the power and the action of who Jesus is and what he's accomplishing in the moment. We very rarely see the entire view. And this story is a great one because we have the entire view. You know what Zacchaeus' name means? Pure and innocent. Hold up. Do you guys remember what we were just talking about about 30 seconds ago? The cheat, the scoundrel, the stealer, the turncoat, the oppressive Roman. You know, back then, believe it or not, is that you named your child based off what you believed them to be or to become. So all of Zacchaeus' life, he's viewed as pure and innocent. But what happens when he doesn't grow up and become that? What happens when the thing that he thought he was supposed to be, he doesn't become? What happens when the name that he's bearing, he's not living? Man, doesn't it get interesting when you start thinking about, wait, this guy's name is pure and innocent, is his definition. Yet we're sitting here, and his existence is not pure and innocent. So in a perfect world, he's created pure and innocent, but how he's living is not pure and innocent. Pause. I think a lot of us, as children of God, you're created in purity and in innocence, yet in this fallen world, we grow into the exact opposite of that in most functions, right? But the goal of relationship with Jesus is a return from how we're living to who we're created to be. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times what happens is, is we get away from the pure and the innocent and the obedient and the servant and the lover of God and we function into this world over here and we're looking and saying, God, I'm over here and I'm not over there and because I'm not over there, I must not be worth anything. I must not really have a plan. I must not have a purpose. I, might, I must not be a child of God. I must not be somebody who has something to offer. I must not be somebody who you can really do anything with. And God is essentially what the Bible is used for. I'm going to be honest. If I were to give you just, based off this passage, a tidbit of my personal journey and my, and my position really here as a leader is this, is that a lot of us, what happens is, is we leave pure and innocent and we end up in the secular cultural approach of what lifestyle and life is. And in this place, we want to be here, but we feel stuck here and what we don't realize is that God has given you the Bible and the Holy Spirit that in all honesty is a lot more truthful than you think it is. What I mean by that is we may feel stuck over here and God saying, well, if you knew my word, you knew what I said about you, you knew what I said about that struggle, you knew about the truth, the grace and the love I have and the obedience and willingness of walking out in the opposite spirit of these things and standing on these promises, you could return to here a lot faster than you think. See, I'm going to be just gut level honest. 
People love to talk about their problems, and many of us probably have this reality we live in today. But in American culture, what we do is we love talking about problems. We love talking about problems. We love verbally processing about problems, but we don't like advice. We don't like truth, and we sure as heck don't want to do anything outside that doesn't feel comfortable. So Zacchaeus, what's interesting about his story is he's over here, but he knows I was created to be pure and innocent. And what he does is he's confronted with the personhood of Jesus. And what he says is, you know what? I repent, I turn, and I do the exact opposite of what I've been doing. Isn't that interesting? I repent, I turn, I do the exact opposite. What had he been doing? Ripping people off. What is he doing now? Paying people back. But not just paying them back. Paying them back in abundance. Look, listen to this. If, if somebody ripped you off, but before they ripped you off, I told you, hey, before they rip you off, they're going to pay you back four times more than they rip you off. How many of us would be like, okay, you can rip me off. Right, where's that line start? Can you give me an end date on that? Like, is that a one-year, is that a two-year thing? Like, three-year, I, I don't care, a four-time return, that's, that's, that's a pretty good rate. I'll take that stock market, line me up. How much do you want? Rip me off, Okay. But think about it, right? Zacchaeus, when he's confronted with the truth and the reality of Jesus, what happens is his priorities, his posture, and his lifestyle changes back to pure and innocent. Because I'm not going to lie, if somebody backpedals that fast and that drastic to look at the wrongs that they've done and say, I will make them right to my own detriment, to my own well-being... I will make them right. That's somebody who God's done something in. So if I were to ask you the question, right? You're created to be pure and innocent. You've ended up over here. What are you willing to do to make it right? Would you be willing to do things to your own detriment, to your own well-being, to the own appearance or, or lifestyle of what you feel like? It means to follow God because what we have is we have this secular pain threshold that overrides a spiritual well-being. I pray today that we understand the, port, the importance of we are created in this identity of pure and innocent as children of God. And when we get off track, we will. Stuff happens, things you go through. I understand that. But never neglect or forget that he has given you the power and the authority to get back to that place of who he created you to be. So what do we have so far, right? We've got a specific job title. We've got a specific name. Now this one, though, for me was the most interesting. We have a reference of a sycamore tree. Now, how many of you guys know, in, the, in Scripture, actually, Jesus talks about, in multiple instances, right, he says, he talks about the fig, the fig tree, he, ta- he gives agronomic analogies all the time, whether it's a vineyard, whether it's uh, fields, it's all kinds of different things. There's wheat, there's mustard seeds, there's all, all this stuff. But this is interesting because to me, right, Zacchaeus is climbing, a, and it's reminded, a specific tree. Now, pause too. We've already established the authority that Zacchaeus has. Do you think that Zacchaeus had the authority to stop the crowd, tell everybody to move aside, and interact with Jesus just like that? 1,000% he did. If you had the Roman backing, essentially you could do whatever you wanted in that day and time. 
And so Zacchaeus, what we see, doesn't actually use his authority to gain advancement in meeting Jesus. He climbs a tree. Now, not only does he climb a tree, he climbs a specific type of tree. Now, this is where it gets interesting. So we're going to get into a little bit of some nitty-gritty about sycamore trees. The reason they're actually named sycamore trees is because the appearance of them makes them look sick. Because at the base, they look like a normal tree, but the higher that they grow, they actually shed their bark. They shed their bark, and the reason they do that is because when they shed their bark, they allow the tree to produce photosynthesis without leaves, which is one of the most uncommon things you can find in nature, a tree that can produce photosynthesis without leaves. But it actually has leaves, and what that means is is that Sycamore trees are super, super strong and steady because they're producing photosynthesis with their leaves as well as allowing the inner parts of the tree to be hit with direct sunlight because they have no protective layer. They've shed all outer layers to allow sunlight to get to the deepest parts of the tree to allow nourishment. And here's where it gets even crazier is because of the nourishment that is allowed in the upper parts of the tree, the lower part of the tree is borderline indestructible. They live on average 150 to 600 years, but they're nearly impossible to cut down. You, if you went there with an axe and tried to, because the fabric of it is it's, and the fabric of the wood is not circular in motion as you would look at wood. It's actually intertwined because it has so many different ways of getting sunlight in. It's a crazy kind of scientific reasoning, but essentially, boiled down, what am I trying to say? It sheds its bark to allow sunlight into the innermost parts of the tree in order for it to be strong and sturdy. Now, pause. You can be healthy with leaves. A tree is healthy when it has leaves that can do that. But what makes a sycamore different is it's healthy and it's strong. See, the leaves make sure it's healthy, but because it doesn't have any layers, the sunlight makes it strong. What am I trying to say today is that I find it interesting as he's climbing this specific tree that sheds its layers to get the sunlight. I would venture to say that Zacchaeus is climbing up, shedding layers to get the S-O-N light. See, the sycamore tree isn't just this, wow, that's an interesting reference because the Bible is typically specific on purpose. What am I trying to say? Is that as it grows, it sheds. And I'm going to say this to you today. If you've been a spiritual believer or somebody who follows God, if you're hungry to grow, you should be hungry to shed. If you're hungry to get strong, you should be hungry to shed. Shed bad behavior, shed bad thoughts, shed bad communication, shed bad companionship, shed bad ways of reasoning and thinking, shave bad addiction, shave bad and toxic behavior. See, a lot of us, we want to be healthy and we want to be strong. And really, healthiness, we can grow, but strength is when it's getting into the inner parts of our core. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, man. A lot of us, we want to be strong, but we don't want to shed. See, Zacchaeus, when he climbed that tree, his identity was changing right before our eyes because he had the authority to just tell everybody, stop the crowd, stop everything going on. I'm meeting with Jesus. But he did something unconventional. 
See, a lot of us were wondering, oh, well, I'm unhappy. Well, have you shed the bad behaviors that lead to unhappiness? Well, I don't really know what I'm doing in life. Well, have you surrounded yourselves with godly wisdom and counsel and people who will push you, hold you accountable, and get you on the right path? Some of us were uncertain in even what we're doing. I promise you, if you just get a revelation with the word, it will open your eyes to a new reality. See, our world functions in this view, but when we follow God, we get that view, the aerial one. And some of us, God's essentially saying today, you need to shed the layers to allow the sunlight in. What are the layers you need to shed? And the last one was this. He's called a son of Abraham. Now, bear with me for a second, right? What have we started with? We started with a job description that was essentially one of the most vile things in the community of that day. And God redeemed it, right? We started with a name. And that name, what it meant, who he was supposed to be, who his parents envisioned him to become, he didn't become. But guess what? Because of him saying, God, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to pursue God, I'm going to be willing, he was able to return to that place. And then we had, right, the sycamore tree, what it means to grow and shed the layers to allow the photosynthesis in, right? Then we got to that place. Now, this last one to me, I think, is one of the most missed and misunderstood concepts of, of the Old Testament. It's really the difference, and my dad actually, uh, I was listening to some uh, teachings on covenants because it's kind of crazy when you think about it. It's not the same as what we perceive it to today. But what you have to realize is that Jews back then, they followed Mosaic covenant, right? They followed the covenant of Moses. They, co- they did the rules. They did the circumcision. They did all the stuff. Now, pause, though. This guy's calling him a son of Abraham. Abraham supersedes Moses. And what might be fascinating to you is that Moses really became the birth of of the Jewish people. Abraham, there was no concept of Jewish people. There was no concept of Judaism. All it was was faith and following. What do I mean by that, right? In the Mosaic Covenant, what you have is you've got the Ten Commandments, which then develop into the Torah, which then develop into the rules, regulations, and customs, and Levitical law, and all that stuff, right? You got all this. With Abraham, you know what that Abraham Covenant was? Follow me, and I'll bless you. Walk with me, and I'll bless you. Now, in the New Testament, do you ever see any reference of people being called sons of Moses? No. Because sons of Moses, you can't be a son of Moses without actually doing all of the law of Moses and becoming what that law was. But you could be a son of Abraham because all it came down to was following in faith, following in sacrifice, following with your heart, following with your mind, following with your soul. It's not a whole bunch of rules. It's a God. You have everything. And that's what Jesus is saying. Is he saying Zacchaeus? You don't need to worry about the Jewish conversion thing. Because what you're doing right now, stepping out in covenant of following based off of faith, not based off of custom, based off of wanting relationship, not based off of what you think I can do for you. What you're doing right now qualifies you as a son of Abraham. You lived off of faith. I pray today that we're not people who just look at the law and the letter and say, okay, well, I'll get as close as I can without doing it. I pray we're not people that go, oh, you know, well, it says not to do this, so I guess I 
I'll try not to. Oh, you know, I just got to make sure I get this much time. Got to make sure that I do these three things. Got to make sure that I lift my hands on the third song. Got to make sure that I give at least four amens during Micah's topic. Got to make sure, thank you. You're three short. (laughs) Got to make sure that I'm, you know, front two rows. So you guys, good job. Got to make sure that I'm, no, you know what it is? I got to make sure I'm following the Lord every day. Step for step, heart for heart, mind with mind, spirit with spirit. God, I'm in constant communication. I'm in constant fellowship. But even more than that, if you tell me to do something uncomfortable and to the detriment of my well-being, I'll do it. If you tell me to pay a cost, I'll pay the cost. If you tell me to do something difficult, I'll do something difficult. If you tell me I need to separate from someone, something, or some way of thinking, I'll do it. See, a son of Abraham, what it is, is God said, I'll do. It's not the the law. And here's the deal. This is nothing against the Mosaic law or anything. But what we're doing is Jesus is reintroducing the covenant of Abraham, as you walk step for step, heart for heart, mind for mind, spirit for spirit with Zacchaeus, and they're looking and their brains are short-circuiting. You're eating with scum. No, I'm eating with a son. And for some of us today, we're looking and saying, well, you don't know what I've done, but I can tell you this, right? Jesus is looking at Zacchaeus saying, listen, you're not a sellout, you're a son. You're not a cheat, you're a son. You're not a Roman, you're a son. You're not dirty, you're clean and pure. You're not scum, you're clean and pure. See, this is what happens when you become a son of Abraham and a follower of Jesus. And not just a son or a follower, but somebody who says, I will pay the cost. Because I'll be honest, in the church today, we got a lot of people who want to be sons and daughters and not a lot of people who want to shed some layers and pay a cost. That's what longevity is rooted in. The strength of your life, the health of your life is how deep the sunlight gets into the core. You are made to withstand. You are made to be whole. You are made in the image of him. You are made clean and pure. Don't ever look at the spirit the things you've had to go through and say, God, I don't think you can do anything with those because that's not the God we serve. With that.